uh, kids that are going to children's church can be dismissed. If you guys want to go ahead and start heading out, that would be great. I've been, I was gone the previous couple of Sundays. Those of you who are here probably were aware of that, and it's fantastic to be back here worshiping together today. So uh, thank you, uh, thank you for being here, and I'm glad to be here with you. Over the past several years here at Byfield, we have been moving through the Gospel of Luke one 10 to 14 week section at a time. Today, we are beginning the final stretch. Over the next several months, we will complete this book. And I'm really excited to be spending this time leading up to Easter, going through Jesus' final days, his crucifixion and resurrection. It is helpful to restart our time in Luke with a couple of reminders about the book. Luke tells us he wrote this gospel out of a desire to put forward an orderly account that his readers might have certainty concerning the things they have been taught. He did so after speaking to eyewitnesses. Within the book, there are several themes that are relevant throughout. The words and stories of Jesus, Luke shares, highlights Jesus' ministry to women, Gentiles, and the poor. The Holy Spirit and the temple are important, as is the bankruptcy of the religious practices that Jesus encountered at the time. A theme that is tremendously pronounced throughout the book is the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. The more the book moves toward its conclusion, the more this conflict escalates. When we left off last April, matters were at a fever pitch. It had become increasingly clear that Jesus would either overcome those who resisted him, or he would die in the process. In the coming weeks, we will see how he did both. Today's verses cover the final hours of freedom Jesus had before his arrest. Now, back when we stopped in Luke, last April, um, I didn't stop thinking, you know what, in nine months, the text we are going to read in early January 2021 is going to be just what we need to hear at the time. But I really believe that that is how this has worked out. I trust that that is true because of God's sovereignty. I'm excited to dive into this text today because I know for me, it's what I need to hear, and I believe, knowing what's going on with some of you all in your lives, it's something that a lot of us need to hear. So if you'll please turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We will begin reading in verse 39 and continue through verse 46. That's Luke chapter 22, 
beginning in verse 39 and going through verse 46. Hear the word of the Lord. And he, meaning Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In these verses, Jesus is struggling. The way he responds to an unimaginably difficult situation should inform how we respond when faced with adversity, especially when that adversity has an emotional component as it so often does. What Jesus models, he also tells his disciples that are with him to do. In emotional situations, we must acknowledge our greater susceptibility to temptation. We are more vulnerable to temptation when we are experiencing strong emotions. To avoid sin, we need God to address the emotions that drive our decision-making. This is especially true when we are feeling despair. In times of despair, we must turn to God for strength. Temptation must be proactively dealt with. There are no safe spaces in which we cannot be tempted. The disciples have just had a really intense couple of days leading up to these verses. The interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders have become more aggressive in nature. Back in chapter 21, Jesus straight up accused them of premeditated murder through a parable. Luke reports the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Jesus' teaching has taken on a more apocalyptic tone. In verse 38 of chapter 22, the verse immediately prior to the verses we read today, Jesus seems to imply the disciples will be fighting a war soon enough. 
A few verses before that, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. For the disciples, the Mount of Olives had to feel like a place they could let their guard down a little bit. They are exhausted. Physically, this is certainly the case. It is just as true emotionally and spiritually. They are watching the expectations they have built their life upon crumble around them. The things Jesus is saying don't align with how they thought things were supposed to play out. Judas has left for God knows where. Jesus has told Peter that he is going to deny him. These men are at a place of emotional despair. They are in what is known as a dark night of the soul. R.C. Sproul describes what a dark night of the soul is. He writes, this is no ordinary fit of depression. But it is a depression that is linked to a crisis of faith. A crisis that comes when one senses the absence of God or gives rise to a feeling of abandonment by him. I can understand how the disciples are feeling as they come to the Garden of Gethsemane on some level. At different points in my life, I've experienced periods where it feels like the darkness of this world will consume me. Normally, this is because my own hopes, my own expectations have been dashed. God isn't doing what I think he should be doing. For many Americans, 2020 felt like a national dark night of the soul. Coronavirus and the election both contributed. Relationships with friends and family suffered. 2021 isn't starting off much better. In the midst of a dark night of the soul, The despair can feel overwhelming. The person suffering thinks, if this is going to be the way the world is, I give up. This is the state the disciples find themselves in. Jesus is well aware of how the disciples feel. He is in his own dark night of the soul. His despair is as dark as can be imagined. Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He is in such agony that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is in the midst of the worst possible version of the turmoil we sometimes experience. Hebrews 4.16 says, For we do not have a high priest 
that, who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. The distress we undergo in our dark nights of the soul is in no way foreign to Christ. Jesus is not a stoic. He is not a robot. He never claims to be. He weeps for his friends. He gets angry. Jesus' emotional experience is fully human. This means Jesus knows how the disciples feel. He knows that they are weary. He knows how risky the situation they find themselves in is. Jesus knows the emotional state of the disciples makes them more vulnerable to temptation. I would guess that I have read this particular passage of scripture hundreds of times in my life over the years. I am incredibly familiar with this. For most of you who have spent a lot of your life going to church, the same thing is probably true. If I asked you to tell me this story off the top of your head before this morning, most of you could probably rattle off the details without much trouble. When I was reading it in preparation for this sermon, I noticed something that I had never noticed before. I think this is often how God works, that we read scripture based on what the experiences we are having in our lives. Right? You notice things that you don't notice at other times because what's going on with you? And that was the case with this scripture this week. In verse 45, Luke writes, when Jesus rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Why? For sorrow. He came and found them sleeping for sorrow. The NIV says they were exhausted from sorrow. The King James uses the same language as the NIV. Whenever I've heard this text preached on, the focus has always been on the disciples' sleepiness. The implication is they were just too lazy to Jesus telling them to pray. The focus has been on their selfishness. This reflects a simplistic view of what is going on in this circumstance. In this understanding, they lack willpower. Failure is a product of not trying hard enough. The solution to sin is to dig deeper. Dig deeper. Find internal strength to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. These verses make abundantly clear why the disciples fell asleep. They are overcome by sorrow. Their failure is a product of their despair. The disciples' emotional resources are non-existent. Their whole world is unraveling. Emotionally and spiritually, they are spent. None of them are operating from a position of strength. The beliefs that energize them are crumbling. 
Have you ever been so depressed, all you want to do is just lay down? Just lay down and go to sleep and not be conscious to this broken world. That is the dark night of the soul these disciples are experiencing. They are sleeping for sorrow. Jesus Jesus knowing what the disciples are feeling because he is experiencing the, the same struggle, warns them about temptation. We normally think of temptation as a purely external force. It's something out there. The boss or a policy at work puts us into a situation where lying is desirable. Material, material available online lures us into greed, anger, or lust. If temptations were simply out there, we could just avoid them. The solution would be to withdraw from the world. Many attempt this strategy. Some of the worst stories you will hear about destructive sin comes out of communities where it was believed sin had been eradicated because the world had been left behind. Communities built on the premise that sin is something that must be avoided from out there are blind to how the emotional status of a person's heart weakens our resistance to temptation. A person that feels like they are drowning in despair will grab on to just about anything that gives them hope. The perversity of our own hearts makes us susceptible to temptation. James 1.14 and 15 say, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The sin itself is a symptom of a diseased heart. Sin is often the solution we adopt to an emotional problem we don't have the wherewithal to address on our own. You see this all the time in addictive patterns of behavior. I'm not just talking about people that go to AA meetings regularly. I'm talking about everyone, all of us. Think about how you respond when you are in an emotionally weakened state. Some people go shopping, some numb their minds with substances, some turn to a hobby or distract themselves with social media. It is easy to convince ourselves we need something to grab onto to relieve us of our angst. We self-medicate our despair with false hopes. A while back, I was informed that a man I knew socially had had an affair. This was not a surprising thing to learn because anybody that had seen the dynamics between this man and his wife was aware of the challenges. The guy and his wife, there was this tremendous sense of coldness in their relationship. They were constantly condemning one another. The fact this guy had an affair shouldn't have surprised anyone. It was, also, it was almost a given 
considering his emotional state, he was desperate for affirmation, which made him an easy mark when temptation arose. The emotional state that led to this guy's affair in no way excuses his sin. It does explain it. He was still responsible both for his actions and his emotions. We are just as responsible for our emotions and the actions they lead to. To resist temptation, we need God's help to address the underlying emotions that drive our behavior. This is why Jesus twice tells the disciples in these verses to pray that you may not enter into temptation. He is telling them to do what he himself is doing. Jesus goes to God in prayer. He recognizes the status of his own heart. He doesn't want to die on the cross. Jesus is in an emotionally vulnerable state. His mind cries out against the rapidly impending doom. He says to God, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In these verses, Jesus' humanity is on full display. There is a temptation to deny God's plan in favor of his own. No temptation could be greater. In this moment, Jesus turns to God for strength. He submits his heart. He lets go of his desired outcome and trusts that God's will is good. In this moment, he shows absolute obedience with everything on the line. In response to Jesus' faith in God's purpose, he is strengthened by an angel from God. The Lord gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. In our emotional weakness, when we feel despair, we must turn to God in prayer. It is through prayer that our hearts are changed. We can express our fears and anxieties to God. He is willing to listen. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. Expressing our heartfelt concerns about the cup we have been handed is a better option than trying to self-medicate through partaking in the temptations that are available to us. Through prayer, we see God's will for us is what's best, even when it seems unpleasant at the time. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God will strengthen those who turn to him in faith as he strengthened Christ. Most people, 
are having a difficult time right now to some extent. Last year was hard. This year is getting off to a rough start. Coronavirus and the political situation in our country are hard on many. Even those that don't care as much about either one of those things are still seeing their lives impacted. The emotions that arise out of these circumstances makes us vulnerable to temptation. The emotions you feel might be different from me. The temptations most likely are as well. What we should all be aware of is our increased level of susceptibility to sin at a time when emotions are running wild. We must turn to the Lord in prayer. The problem isn't only out there, it is in here. We need our hearts to change. Our hope is in God alone. If our ultimate trust is in politicians, systems of government, science, or anything else, we should despair. We should despair. The things of this world, those things that we build, they will all inevitably disappoint. To resist temptation, we must turn to the only sure hope, God will never fail. He is the only true source of the strength we need to live. The conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man that Luke's gospel highlights continues. It is easy from our limited vantage point to lose hope and to give in to despair. God sees what we don't. He sees the progress of the war between kingdoms stretching over the millennia. What seems like a major setback to us is not from God's perspective. He sees that through the cross, there is victory. He knows the final outcome. Through Jesus Christ, he has guaranteed it. This doesn't mean we can't struggle. Even after the angel of the Lord strengthened Jesus, he continued to pray more earnestly. It didn't make it easy. It didn't make all the problems go away. God's strength does not make us act in a less human way. It gives us the strength to move forward in a faithful way, to be fully human as he has called us to be fully human. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we have a high priest that knows what it means to struggle, Lord. That we are not alone in the difficulties that we face and 
the despair or the agony that some in this room might be experiencing even today, Lord. I pray that when we are at a place of emotional vulnerability, Lord, that we will turn to you, that you will strengthen us so that we can resist the temptations that spring forth from our own heart that we are surrounded by in this world. I pray that we would turn to you, even in our dark nights of the soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.